0: This is not how I wanted to start this season. It's not how you wanted this season to start, either. I wonder if the word season itself is going to become antiquated as the years go on, and even though we're talking about seasons in terms of a podcast, will it be like records, you know? Remember when people used to listen to records? Yeah, yeah, I know they're kind of fashionable again now, but they'll go back out of style, and then everyone will be like, huh, why are we using the word record? Well, season is a lot like that, isn't it? Because we don't have seasons anymore. That's becoming clear. It's all just a bunch of... Well, we'd call it chaos, but really... Earth finding her balance again. Which may not include us since we tend to be the culprits behind her imbalance in the first place. It's funny how quickly, even before I've started this show, how quickly the moral to the story in terms of global climate change, global warming, how it's become irrelevant. I mean, this is going to be a story about Maui, and the story is supposed to be how it's a microcosm of what's happening with Earth as a whole and how what's happening on Maui is coming soon to a town near you. But we already know that because California just happened, right? The hurricane rolling through California with the floods and the whole thing. So I think we get it now, even those of us who really don't want to. Of course, there are always going to be those who are just going to call it, um, you know, Project Harp or some form of weather control laser satellite technology from either our country or some nefarious other country, anything to not be us, anything to not take responsibility for what we are and what we're doing. But let's go to Maui. Let's go to Lahaina. As you probably know, Lahaina was a a, town in Maui that, uh, was of historical significance because it was sort of the seat of, um, King Kamehameha after he unified the islands and all of that. Or maybe you just know it as a quaint little tourist attraction. I've seen both, both of those takes in the the mainstream media, and of course nothing angers a Hawaiian more than referring to their historical sites and or their sacred sites as tourist destinations. And yet, there it is. We continue to do it. If any of you listened to Peritopia, I don't think the episode has come out yet on the re-release of the episodes, but if you're an old-school Peritopia listener, maybe you'll recall my friend Paul uh, from high school, who did a roundtable, I think, a chat episode on our Ouija board experiences from back in high school. Well, Paul and I have been friends since high school, as I say, to this day. Um, He and his wife Alice were on vacation, not on this island, but on Maui. In fact, they were vacationing in Lahaina um, when it was ablaze. And... It was even more horrifying than I think I could imagine because every level of it feels like it could be its own horror movie or intro to one at least. Um, so they were staying at a posh hotel uh, complex. I think there were four buildings in all and they were high rises. And the first thing they noticed when they got there, this was before the fires was Just how many people were, including some whom they were with, and they didn't know this about them, were the terrible white privileged people that I talk about on this show. (laughs) Uh, You know, the kind who treat, quote unquote, the help like slaves, the kind that can't do anything for themselves. I mean, they said there was one guy who was saying, you got to call 911. I'm out of cash. Somebody call 911. He was out of cash. And I don't know if he didn't know how to get to a bank machine or if it was closed down at this point because the power was out. Probably it was closed down because the power was out. Let's guess that. But whatever the case, um, he wouldn't be told no. Now, it's funny that he didn't just call 911 himself to find out that, you know, the emergency line isn't really for when you're out of cash. Uh, But things like that. Uh, ordering around the hotel staff, all of that fun stuff. This is what they were observing. And they didn't want to be a part of it. They didn't want to be associated with it. They wanted to sort of distance themselves from even whoever it is that they went with. That already is bad news. Uh, Then the lights go out. Not too terribly long into their trip, maybe half a day or so, a day. And they had posted on Facebook, like, hey, the lights are out, (laughs) some power lines are down or something, and this is, you know, making a joke about how this is sort of their fantasy apocalypse, you know, an empty Gilligan's Island where uh, everyone seems to have abandoned the place kind of thing. And then a funny thing happened on the way to that jokey Facebook post. Um, Everyone did abandon the place, or at least the hotel staff did. They... Woke up, I guess, in the morning and found that there was no hotel staff anywhere. Um, there was no electricity still. Uh, so their phones were down to like two percent, one percent, whatever. Um, and it was clear that there were fires, they could see fires in the distance, and they thought, okay, what do we do now? nobody knew this about them on the outside world because they had lost electricity. They'd lost the internet. So that was the last Facebook post was the one joking about how they died and gone to heaven. And they almost literally did. Um, It was almost literally not a joke, Um, but we didn't know. So that was the last contact anyone had had with them was that Facebook post in quite some time, which is odd because they're, you know, pretty good at keeping up on facebook posts especially when they're on vacation but what was happening with them was they were abandoned there in this place they'd never been with all of these privileged people (laughs) realizing that they were up on whatever floor uh and there was seemingly no fire escape No safety exits that they were shown. There was a diesel-operated elevator. One diesel-operated elevator. This is Hawaii, folks. You know? These are the building codes, uh, supposedly. Who knows? Who knows what the building codes are compared to paying off the building inspectors, you know? Like, (laughs) this is Hawaii. So, they knew that they didn't want to be up there if there was going to be a fire, but they knew that they didn't really want to go anywhere because... What if they weren't counted? What if, you know, rescue has to be coming, right? But they also didn't want to be with these, these terrible people who were now complaining to, I guess, the ether, since there was no hotel staff to complain to, that the pool heating wasn't working because, you know, the electricity's out. So the pool wasn't being heated properly, and they were complaining amongst themselves about this. Soon it would be well heated, but they didn't know that. So, Paul and Alice, after many, many hours, decide, okay, this fire's getting closer. No one's coming. We gotta get out of here. Um, there were people that didn't belong to the hotel coming into the hotel. And they weren't sure if these were people losing their homes and stuff, because it was pretty obvious what was going on out there. And they weren't sure if it was people, like, displaced. Um, locals or if they were looters. And they certainly didn't want to be there with the white privileged people when the looting was going on. So they decided they got to get out of there. They had a car, they had gas. They realized that was a commodity. For some reason, they didn't have f- food and they didn't have water. Um, none of the water was working anywhere. And I've never been to Maui, but apparently there's one main road all around the island. And you can, so from where they they were positioned, you can either go the sort of direct way, which was blocked off uh, with blockades by police and stuff. Um, Or you can go the absolutely crazy way, which is like sort of a, I guess, a twisty, turny. Um, You could accidentally drive off a cliff on your best day kind of drive. No guardrails kind of drive. Um, and everyone thought, okay, you're crazy for doing that. But they're like, no, we're going to do that. Now their, their friend who they were with had heard, and it's true that the Sheraton hotel, if you could get to the Sheraton hotel, they were going to start busing people to shelters. But again, they didn't know that that was true and they didn't particularly want to be with the complainy privilege people. So they decided to part ways and take their chances on the twisty tourney. And so they went out into the fire and they drove through it and they saw not one, not two, but three fire tornadoes, um, everything up in flames all around them. Of course, they didn't know where they were going. They just knew they didn't want to be there. And they ended up, uh, in a Walmart parking lot. There was a Walmart parking lot on the island that was being set up as an impromptu, um, shelter, but this isn't that Walmart. This was some other Walmart. And through this all, maybe because they were shocked, later we talked about it, and they also said maybe it's because they come from uh, a town that is heavily Trump, heavily right-wing, and so you don't trust people anymore, you know? Like, you don't trust the kindness of strangers. So, like, they were afraid that, one, they weren't going to get counted because they weren't back at the hotel anymore. But two, that if they got caught driving, that somehow it was illegal to be driving and and they'd be thrown in jail. And three, you know, they didn't want to ask for help because they didn't trust anyone. The looting and the, you know, all of that sort of apocalyptic danger fear comes to the forefront of like, oh God, what's going to happen to us? We're all we have. And... So it's just weird. Like, um, you know, to me, I would think that if someone were uh, offering help, as you'll hear in a minute, um, that that would be Aloha. But to them, it was questionable because of their life experience now living in the town that they do. So they get to the Walmart parking lot. And now in my infinite wisdom, I see that they haven't been online all day and that Alice has relatives who are saying, hey, uh, anyone heard from them? Are they okay? And at this point, the public doesn't even know how bad it is in Lahaina, right? Like, we just sort of know that there's a fire. We had heard that the fire department was had thought they had put out enough of the Lahaina fire to go deal with a bigger fire, and that it wasn't true, and that the winds picked it back up, and, and it was becoming a bigger deal. But we didn't know how big of a deal it was. Um... But it was becoming kind of clear that it was a big deal, right? And there's really nothing you can do, right? There's no electricity. The cell phones had all been turned off because um, they were emergency use only. Of course, as you know by now, if you follow the story, there were no alarm bells that were no alarms that sounded. They said they turned on the radio and there were like Christian AM stations and there was like one FM station playing music, but that was it. There was no DJ who came on and was like, hey, run for your lives. There was no emergency warning going through any of the radio stations that they, that they turned on. So they literally had no idea what was going on. They got to the Walmart parking lot. I saw that they weren't responding. And I was like, Hey, Carol, my wife, (laughs) uh, we know people who know people. Maybe we can do something. Let's just keep it as vague as that. Uh, so we were able to make contact with them through all of that. Even all of that, we were still able to make contact with them. And, um, they sounded, uh, crazed (laughs) as, as one would and shocked. And at one point in the Walmart parking lot a woman came up to their car. This is the Aloha kindness of strangers and was sort of telling them, "Hey, the airport's that way. Are you guys okay?" And they were like, y- "Yep, we're fine. No, nope, no problem. We're good. Thanks." Like total distrust that that this that they were, a weren't going to be in trouble for parking in this Walmart parking lot or b that this was a stick up of some sort, you know? But no, it was just a kind person trying to help them because clearly they were lost and disheveled and they stand out uh, the way that they look, I'm sure, at least, you know, people know they're not from there. So, like I said, we were able to get in contact with them enough to um, buy them a plane ticket here. They asked if they could come stay with us and decompress and then go back home. We live on uh, the island of Hawaii. We did that. We bought them a ticket. We told them, hey, you've got to be at the airport at 6 a.m. The plane leaves two hours later. The lady on the phone said, "Um, if you don't show up two hours early, they're going to give your ticket to someone else. But we weren't sure what was going to happen, really, because, I mean, it was a night of them falling asleep, trying to sleep in their car. They hadn't slept in a while. Um, you know, they had health issues already and now no water and no food. And so her tongue was swelling up and I just didn't know if they were going to pass out or that they would make it. Well, it turns out they did make it and they made it by, uh, they got up and they drove behind, um, there were some utility trucks, a couple of utility trucks with flashing lights. And so they thought, okay, these guys have to be going to the airport (laughs) which they didn't <laughs> but they thought that and so they decided to follow the utility trucks <laughs> because again they're in shock and all of this and they're just not thinking straight but they were right they happened to be right and not only were they right but the, so their rental car was a mini a white minivan and they noticed at some point that as they're tailing these two utility vehicles with their their lights flashing They notice that the highway is being blocked off by the police and that they are allowed to go through, presumably because this is like an emergency crew and the police think that they're with the emergency crew. So the roads are being blocked off for this crew to go through. So they're just following, they're like ambulance chasing essentially, except it's a utility crew, not an ambulance. And they didn't even realize it, but that's what they were doing. And when they did realize it, they were like, huh, that's. Now we feel bad, but not bad enough to not go, because let's take our luck here where we can. And lo and behold, they brought them, incidentally, right to the airport. And they dropped off their rental, they got on a tram, they got to the airport in time, all of that. And so they came and stayed with us. They stayed for a few days, um, and they went back home. Now, of course, we know just how devastating that fire was. Lahaina is gone. Over 100 people that we know of are are dead, but we know that about 1,000 are missing, and so, presumably, many more to come. We know about all the lack of responses that happened (laughs) uh, that are kind of confounding, but not really if you live in Hawaii. Um... I mean, the confounding thing is that Maui is such a wealthy island, so very rich, and yet they just can't seem to get it together where it counts. This has always been the story of Hawaii, from what I understand. There's always been this sort of money hole, you know? There just ain't enough money for locals. Well, everyone's on welfare, or everyone's uh, homeless, or on meth, or, you know, there are all these problems that you see in other places, except that this is a rich place. Uh, so where's all that money going? Um, there's that. (laughs) That's one issue. Um, the other issue is that uh, one of the issues of climate change that needs to be dealt with because we hear about like, you know, in terms of air pollution or car emissions, oil, all that sort of stuff is the big uh, culprit changing the Gulf stream and, you know, melting the ice caps and all of that. And all of that is true. Also true, as we see in Maui, is that when colonialism came to the islands and the sugar plantations and all that fun stuff, um, Lahaina used to be considered the Venice of the Pacific. So, it was very watery. There was a waterway going through there. There were breadfruit trees. All of all, it was lush, and watery and green. Uh, and then, the plantation owners, the I'm assuming other farmers and also the hotels, had the water diverted to their their crops. And so it dried up. And of course, for the cattle and stuff, they brought in this tall guinea grass. You know that grows ten feet tall. So it's dry. It's tall grass. It's paved, you know, these towns. Um, It's a wildfire tragedy with wind waiting to happen. And this is the story all over the world. We see this in California. We see this. We see it everywhere. And so, my point here with all of this is a point that I keep coming across um, whenever I talk about heart cultures, nature cultures, and the such, there's always one or two people in any given episode of me talking about that stuff. And it's usually a white male. It's definitely a white person who gets upset that I'm putting these native cultures on a pedestal. And they usually want to say something along the lines of, they had wars, these native peoples, these first nations, they had wars, they had slavery. And then I have to like, you know, if I want to get into the weeds with them, argue the point about, well, what does war mean to them? What does slavery mean? It didn't mean what you think it means. And by the way, I don't trust a a white historian's perspective necessarily on these other cultures. In fact, many of them who are still with us today can tell their own stories, but we treat them all like they're dead. And like the white people who quote unquote won the war that they imposed upon people, have the real truth. And I know enough from my own just college education. Um, the difference between what you learn, for instance, in public high school, as I did, and college. Um, when you take specialty courses that have books, I oh God, I can't remember. Before the Mayflower was one, but I, I don't remember all of the books that I had read, but I remember that there is a huge difference between like the history books that tell you the the diary entries of the missionaries and the the col- colonialists and the soldiers and whatever who were there what they say about native culture that they observed and what you just learn generally and they, these are worlds apart they didn't observe savages they were told that these were savages and that they were told that these were an enemy but that's not what they observed <laughs> They observed peaceful people. That's what they, that's who they were. Until war came to them, and then suddenly, you know, you've got to defend yourself. So I can get into the weeds on all of that, and, you know. But even in that, there's always been something missing, and I'm seeing it now with the Maui stuff. And what's missing is, it doesn't matter, you know, we're not talking about putting people when I say that they, you know, live in heart or live in, in natural balance where culture comes from the earth and all that, it doesn't matter if that, it, that doesn't produce perfection. You can still have fighting and quote unquote wars and quote unquote slavery, you know, whatever those things ultimately mean to them or how they manifest to them. But what you never have in any instance of any culture of uh first nations culture, um, You don't have a war against earth. You would never have uh, anything that would destroy earth. But we don't think of that as a war. We don't think of that as enslaving nature. We don't think of that at all. We think of that as, well, what the Bible says, which is, uh, it's here for you to do what you want. You know, be stewards of the earth. But really what that means is trample on it if you want. It's here for you. Nature is here for you. So, nature is beneath you, it's for you, it's not, you're not with nature, you're not of nature, you are above. And this is from a book. <laughs> this isn't real lived experience. This is wish fulfillment experience for, for you know, massive, separate self-sense, ego-driven culture. And what the Earth actually needs is um, nature cultures who know what flora and fauna uh, need to be propagated. You know, the original flora needs to be brought back. The original, you know, how to do that. They know how to do that. In other words, Lahaina needs to go back to the Hawaiians who are from that region who know exactly how to work with Earth to fortify her as best as possible against uh, wildfires, hurricanes, and all of that fun stuff. It doesn't mean it's, again, going to be a perfect system because certainly what we're creating in the atmosphere is a tragedy. Uh, And I don't know that it's one that you can stave off forever. But maybe, I mean, maybe if all of earth went back to the native peoples, including Europe, you know, back to, I'm sure there are people in the various, um, countries in Europe, uh, who are of the original mentality that, uh, have that knowledge handed down to them who would know how to work with earth too. Uh, or maybe it's just a conversation with the trees away, you know, like one sitting down with the trees and really asking them, what do you need and listening and, Being open to feedback, shutting off that rational, logical, robotic self that demands repetition for reality to be real and demands, you know, that it come from the observer, the one who wants to make everything a a neurochemical transaction in life. Uh, When that person is tucked away, that, that baby pretending to be the adult who is actually throwing a tantrum called desire and uh, destroying everything. When that person is tucked away and the natural person comes out, um, what happens? Is there an intuitive understanding and knowing of how to care for and with earth uh, that puts her in balance and sort of immediately reverses all of this? I'm gonna go with yes. Not that we're going to do that, but that's what we need to do. And so that would be my answer to anyone who says, oh, you put these native cultures on a pedestal, blah, blah, blah. No, what I do is I recognize that there is a healthier way to be. And that doesn't mean it's perfect, and that doesn't mean it doesn't have its problems, but it does mean that that those cultures would be allowed to work out their problems a lot longer than we're allowing because they would never destroy the earth. And I know at least in terms of Hawaii, there are conversations going on locally in, uh, in Maui about the restoration of Lahaina, that it's not going to be more hotels, more tourist trap stuff, that they, there is the recognition that they need to return Lahaina to her pre-colonial state and they can do it. But it's interesting to me also, this microcosm that Maui is, you know, in terms of those people who say, oh, you know, you're putting these cultures on a pedestal and blah, you know, and it's always, again, it's white people, it's usually white men. And I don't know if it's ever not been white men I've been confronted by, but they do it like as if, you know, Like, they're the ones who are saying the thing that's true, you know? (laughs) Like, they're braving it to be, because you know, it's illegal now to care about white culture and put that on the pedestal. And so they're going to take it back because they know that this is true. You know, there's value to what we are as white people. Blah. And, you know, with that comes, of course... The notion that all of this stuff we're talking about in terms of persecuting these cultures is in the past and it's not our fault, right? We always hear this with African-Americans, you know, I wasn't a slave owner. I didn't do that. I didn't, you know, that's all in the past. Why can't they just get over it? And then you would got to, you know, well, because you still have the white privilege that uh, you were afforded from those actions uh, that are, inst- you know, institutional racism is a thing, people, and blah, blah, blah. But here you actually see it. I mean, if not for the fact that I think Hawaii still has its own oral traditions and handed down knowledge that had not been cut off by missionaries. I mean, essentially colonialism happens, missionaries come, they make Hawaiian culture on all the islands illegal. It's illegal to dance your dances and chant your chants and be Hawaiian. You've gotta be literate. You've gotta be literate through reading the Bible and you gotta be Christian. And you so your knowledge goes to books. Well, as we see in Lahaina, um, the library went up in flames. All of that knowledge goes up in flames. It doesn't go up in flames if you have an oral tradition, but the superiority of, uh, you know, being literate um, (laughs) demands that you don't remember anything. You use that memory for something else. (laughs) Like, I don't know, uh, video games. (laughs) I don't don't know what. Uh, But it's Hawaii, and so... Despite all of that stupidity, um, there there are the traditions handed down orally, and it is kept alive through all of that. And I suspect in a lot of cultures, uh, First Nations cultures, it, that that has happened too. You know, they've been boarding schooled to death, but not really. They still have their grandparents who taught them. Uh, I suspect that that's true in a lot of cases. But again, here we are in a situation where even the firefighters say they didn't really have water. I mean, all this water is being diverted to where? To hotels, to farmland, to, you know, we're talking big ag crops and the such, not sugar plantations anymore, but whatever has taken their place, the water is diverted. And now, of course, thanks to this fire, the water is polluted and you don't want to drink it or touch it. Is that not war on the earth? Is that not a form of enslavement, a form of racism? I mean, within a day of people in Lahaina losing everything, including loved ones, everything, their houses, their, all of that stuff, and the loved ones and the uncertainty, maybe their friends, all of it. They lose everything, and not, with, not one day goes by where realtors from the mainland or wherever aren't calling them and offering them money for their land. Uh, the buy-up begins, and then the governor has to step in and say, oh, we're not going to allow that to happen. Don't worry, we're not going to allow that to happen, which is great, and I hope that that's true. But the fact is, in this culture, that's capitalism. It's vulture capitalism. It's capitalism. It's capitalizing on other people's misery and suffering. It it doesn't matter. Capitalism doesn't care if you're happy or sad. Capitalism just cares that the capitalist is making more and more money. Buying up this land for cheap, building the big resort or the whatever, and making money off of it. That's what capitalism is. That's what this culture would do if this culture had its way. But there are Hawaiians pushing back and saying, we're not taking that anymore. We're going to reverse engineer this engineered place (laughs) back to its proper balanced proportions before you got here and screwed with it this is the new quote-unquote battle moving forward is going to be between land developers and caretakers of hawaii and who do you want to win can hawaii afford For the Hawaiians to lose again? No. There's one possible remedy to this global crisis, and it ain't more development for money. Quote-unquote development. The destruction of land. For people stuff. That makes somebody money, who's not you. I want to wrap this up by exposing one more blindness, because that's really what this is about. It's an episode about our own blindness. And there's one more element to it, which is I had a a close relative phone me up. I can't remember if this person called me or I called her uh, originally, but it was when Paula and Alice were here. But anyway, we we talked when Paula and Alice were here and, um, told her what was going on with them and what was going on in our, our lives and all this. And for some reason she couldn't wait to get off the phone. (laughs) It was like just going in one ear and out the other, which is classic in, in our relationship because not two days later, did she call and leave a message saying, Hey, just calling to check in Howard Paul and Alice with this real somber, like it was as if like two days of media coverage had finally broken through to her in a way that my own telling um, of what's actually happening couldn't because it's not real for her until other people, out, you know, outside agencies confirm it for her. Like this has always been a, a factor between us. And so when, I talked to her a couple of days after she left that message because I was a little bit busy. Um, I got a little peeved at one point uh, because she asked me, how do I feel about what's going on in in Lahaina? And she's like, don't you feel sad? How do you feel? How are you? You know, and I'm like, well, actually, I'm angry. I'm angry because... And I went down the list, some of which I talked about here. Um, But basically, the lack of response, the lack of any sort of in this rich place, you know, any sort of infrastructure response, no police coming to the hotels, no, no, you know, unified warning of any sort, the diversion of water, the, you know, that Lahaina isn't what she used to be. And that's kind of why this is happening there and how that's the hidden story of global warming, not just what's going on with the warmth, (laughs) but why these fires can take off because the lands have been changed and, and decimated in many cases and, you know, turned into dry lands, these once fertile places for money and, you know, all of this stuff, the, the oligarchy stuff. And her response to that was, (sighs) Yeah, but, I mean, aren't you sad? And I was like, yeah, I'm sad, but I'm also angry. More than that, I am angry. My anger encompasses the sad. Of course I'm sad that people lost their lives. But it's like, you know, wake up. At some point, so I, I just sort of went off on that wake up tangent. And that's the other part of it, is like, you know, you're not allowed with certain people. You're not allowed... Uh, to feel what you actually feel, it's got to be this shallow, mm, aren't you sad about it? And let's go back to life. You know, because one of the things that I had mentioned too was I, I had started saying, like, you know, like Oprah came, Oprah Winfrey, with her cameras, of course. You know, she's going to give, I don't know what, food, clothing, something. You win a house, and you win a house, and you win a house. No, she didn't do that. But she's doing all this sort of look at me, I'm charitable Oprah stuff uh, with a camera. And it's like you're a billionaire. If you and a couple of billionaires, instead of like getting together with some musicians and doing a charity thing to raise money from common people like us (laughs) when you're the billionaires, uh, why don't you just get together with a couple of billionaires who have, for instance, taken over Hawaii like, uh, you know, the guy who runs Facebook, for instance, and start giving back some of those billions, you know? It won't take that much. <laughs> Just, you could rebuild this thing on your own with the money that you don't deserve. But that's not going to happen. Instead, she's going to come there with a the camera and be like, look at me, I'm Oprah. Compassion. Mm. Let's do a story on that. And, you know, the person I'm on the phone with response to that is like, oh, great, you know, that's wonderful, yeah. I mean, they're helping out. I'm like, that's not that's not helping and then she says don't you think that there are something along the lines don't you think that there are any good rich people in the world i'm like are you seriously siding with rich people in this time like i get what she's saying she's trying to be optimistic like look every little bit helps and look there are some rich people just take the crumbs that you're given you know the old liberal fallacy take the crumbs that you're given and be thankful And we can't afford to do that anymore. We can't afford to have that mentality of, like, someone else will take care of it or the least amount of help is good enough. So long as I, the viewer of this, can get back to my sense of normalcy and get back to not having to feel that sadness or that anger. Um, You can only feel the sadness. It's only compelling for a little while, that sadness. And feeling just the sadness for the the lives lost, uh, of course that's necessary, but it's also necessary to see the systemic, not just failures, but actual successes um, that have gone into this. What one might call evil, (laughs) but of course we don't. Uh, We call it successes that have gone into this structure that was paradise, quote-unquote paradise, for outsiders, which became a hellscape for locals and for everyone in that moment. I mean, there has to be something more than just, I mean, there has to be something more than anger, too, but there has to be something more than just, ah, oh, don't you feel bad? Oh, good, the rich people are doing something about it. Ah, oh, well, on to the next. There is no on to the next. This is perpetual. There are no seasons anymore, folks. This is, we're in the one big season. That love of repetition that scientists have. That's going away. We're in the topsy-turvy world. It's not even chaos. It's just fire and brimstone. It's what we've wrought. And we don't have to. Now, ultimately, as you know, if you've listened to this show before, even the mind that is in balance with earth that can rescue us (laughs) from this damage that we're doing. Um, even that isn't enough ultimately, or, you know, it's, it's enough for now. It's enough to sustain us while we figure out the next piece of us, which is wholeness beyond even that, that which transcends and includes even that, uh, being with earth. Right now we're in the, unhealthy separation the divorce from earth we are the gods of the earth uh and when that childish fantasy dies away if we're not extinct by then we will go back to being adults and saying no no that's not true we are with earth and then there's also the i am experience i am that the universal consciousness which cannot be relegated anymore to a wise person in the village. Uh, it can't just be the shaman. It can't be the medicine person. or Whatever the word is, you know, the kahuna. It can't just be the specialist who understands that through direct experience. It's got to be all of us. But alas, we're not even healthy enough To give ourselves enough time to ponder that. Too busy capitalizing on our own death. Which is meaningless. Except if you're insane. And there's billions of us being insane. So insane that I, again, I can't even make the original point I wanted to make with this. Which is that Maui is the world. Maui is a microcosm of the world because... Within days of this Maui tragedy in Lahaina, California. And that's just an America. All over the world we're burning. It's beyond sad. It's what we're doing because it's who we are.